Hello, and welcome to the Dear Mind You Matter podcast. My name is Allison Walsh. I'm a longtime mental health advocate and vice president at Advanced Recovery Systems. On each episode, I will be joined by my colleague and clinical expert, Dr. Angela Phillips. This show, along with our mental health and wellness app, Nobu, are just some of the ways we're working to provide you with actionable tips and tools to take really good care of yourself each and every day. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite note-taking device. It's time to fill your mind with things that matter. For the safety of our listeners, we do want to note that the following episode may contain information that some may find triggering and or may not be suitable for all audiences. Listening discretion is advised. Today's guest is Mike Vini. He was determined to overcome a lifetime of serious mental health challenges to become a professional drummer and a certified corporate wellness specialist. He's the author of the best-selling book, Transforming Stigma, How to Become a Mental Wellness Superhero. His expertise and life experience have been featured on ABC, NBC, and CBS News. As a 2017 PM 360 Elite Award winner, our next guest was recognized as one of the 100 most influential people in the healthcare industry. In addition to MikeBeanie.com, his insightful writing is published in Corporate Wellness Magazine and on HealthCentral.com. His captivating presentations are popular with companies including Microsoft, CVS Health, T-Mobile, Heineken, Salesforce, and the Wounded Warrior Project. Between delivering a TED Talk, maintaining a lively YouTube channel, and teaching continuing education courses, you can feel confident knowing that you'll have an enjoyable experience during his podcast episode. In his spare time, he enjoys weight training, meditating for 20 minutes twice a day, and eating a good bone-in ribeye steak cooked medium rare. He lives in New York City and is addicted to buying luggage, along with watching YouTube videos on how to pack a suitcase. His packing checklist for business trips is one of his most prized possessions. Let's get into the show. All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being on our show today. Would you mind introducing yourself to our audience? Well, sure. Uh, thank you for having me on your show and hello to your audience out there. My name is Mike Vini. I'm a mental health speaker, author, writer, and a corporate wellness specialist. And basically I, I've been struggling with mental health challenges for my whole life. And I've learned to use them as a tool to help myself and others. And so I believe that actually behind our mental health struggles is some real gold. And that's what I'm excited to talk to you about today. Well, we're so excited too, Mike, and obviously just so glad you're here. And I actually was just watching the interview that you did with your depression earlier. <laughs> and everyone follow me for a minute here if you haven't seen this. I love it. I think that so many people will too. So we're going to put a copy of a link to that in our show notes if you're okay with it. But I just think it's a really great sort of approach that you took to having this conversation um, and, and letting other people in on that and just shedding more light on what that experience is like for you. But I wanted to just ask you to share a little bit more about how you got there, how that came up for you. And was that your idea? Oh, I, I wish. Um, I was contacted by OC87 Recovery Diaries. They're a film production company and they wanted to do some kind of documentary with me. And I remember that the director, Glenn, was sitting in my dining room talking with me. And, you know, we weren't really getting anywhere. And he said, well, you know, if you if you could, uh, you know, if I could give you one wish with your mental health right now, what, what would it be? And I was so frustrated with my depression. I said, well, I'd like to interview my depression. And he goes, hold on, can you put two chairs together? And he goes, sit in one chair, ask your depression a question. And I did. He said, go in the other chair and answer it. And I'm like, this is weird. And he said, 
I think we can do something with this. So when I did the video, it was actually me on video interviewing myself. Um, I was the interviewer. I asked myself these questions. Then I switched outfits and the questions were asked to me by someone else behind the scenes. And what was so weird is I actually got triggered in the video. I actually got triggered and just went to a really dark place. And I remember even the camera crew kind of like peeking their heads around from the camera, like, what? you know, because I was really just um, letting it all out. And so I was really grateful because it was very therapeutic for me. And um, looking at it to this day is very helpful for my own mental health. Well, I love that you were able to do that too, because it sheds a different light, right? A different perspective for maybe those that don't know what it feels like, or might not identify um, with that, but it's so critical to have important conversations. You're a mental health advocate. You do a lot to really change uh, people's perspective and perception and eradicate the stigma. And I know I'm really excited for you to help unpack the book that you wrote, Transforming Stigma uh, for our audience. So would you mind sharing what was your intention behind this? Why did you want to do this? Uh, just give the audience a little bit more background on it. Oh, so we're going to get real here. I actually didn't want to do it. Um, I was kind of bullied into writing a book. The people in my life, they were bullying me. I was I was a speaker for many years and I was the only speaker without a book. And I thought I was cool. It's like, <laughs> I don't have a book. Everyone else does. But um, I wrote it about superheroes. You know, it started out with um, The Incredible Hulk, which all of you might know. And those of you that are listening or watching, there was a show in the 1970s, The Incredible Hulk starring Lou Ferrigno. And the show went on for many years and, and everyone identified with it on some level. And one of the reasons I think is because, you know, when you think of the Incredible Hulk, you have Dr. Bruce Banner, who's mild mannered and trying to keep it together at work like all of us. But then when he gets triggered, he becomes this Hulk who's not necessarily uh, evil or, or good, but definitely uh, uh, becomes a monster. And I think all of us can identify with that at some level. You know, right now, as we're doing this interview, we're being professionals and you know, keeping it together. But, you know, when we're at home by ourselves, that Hulk can come out. And so I figured that um, that would be a good way to start talking about stigma from a different perspective. And it led me to uh, write the book. And actually the book was based on three principles that I used in 2011 to basically save my life. Um, I was very suicidal at the time, found a therapist, but as you know, it can take many weeks or in this day and age, months to set it up. And, you know, as I was waiting to get my first session, because I was in such a bad place, I went to the library and learned everything I could about stigma to try to save my life. And I wrote three things down on an index card that essentially became my book. I carried those three things every day with me, not to have them as a book to save my life. And um, that's how my book came to be. And it became a bestseller and we're selling out of those things all the time. And I'm just grateful that people have gotten something out of it. That's absolutely amazing. But by chance, could you share what those three things are or are you going to make us buy the book? You know, the definition is a mark of shame. And, but when we talk about the stigma, as we do with mental health, it's actually a three-part process. It starts with shame. So you might feel ashamed about something you're struggling with, or you might love someone, feel ashamed about their situation. The shame leads to silence. You don't want to talk about it. And the silence leads to sabotage social injustice, self-destructive behavior, and suicide. And the cycle just keeps going and going, but there's a way to transform it. And that's what I talk about in the book. And I can break it down for you. You transform shame through self-care. 
when you take care of yourself for some oddball reason, you start to feel better about yourself. You transform silence through conversation. I mean, whether that's going to therapy or just sharing that you struggle. And you transform the sabotage, social injustice, self-destructive behavior, and suicide through connecting with others at a deeper level, which is something we're so lacking in this world. And so I realized when I was intentional about each day, self-care, conversation, and connecting, I started to see stigma literally transform in my life. And when I started sharing it with others, they were telling me, yeah, this stuff works. And I'm like, whoa, I think we got something here. And that became my book. I love that you wrote the book and then you've also, you've got the workbook too, to really help people work through it. So not only are you educating, you're giving people action steps to take, right? Because it's one thing to absorb information. It's another thing to actually put it in motion. So great job on that for sure. Thank you. Yeah. So Mike, you know, you bring up something that continues to be very taboo to talk about, and, you know, that's related to thoughts of suicide and that experience that some people have, not everyone, but, you know, I think one thing that's really interesting is that we don't talk about it. We sort of act like, you know, it doesn't exist or that these thoughts and feelings and behaviors don't occur or that they, you know, only happen to such a insignificant number of people or that it's, you know, not important or, um, for many, I think it's more of the discomfort of the topic or really a misunderstanding that talking about it will somehow exacerbate the issue. But that's what I'd love for you to share a little bit more about. And that's what that experience has been like for you as someone that's really sort of leaned into this space of actually being a face for and talking about what, your experience has been and sort of normalizing that this is something that a lot of, uh, a lot of people go through. What's that been like for you? It's been very comforting, actually. Um, I don't usually use the term mental illness. Some people choose to, I don't, but I did an experiment for a year and please, if you're listening, do not do this experiment, just do not. Um, but I decided to introduce myself to every single person I met and say, hi, I'm mentally ill. I wanted to see what would happen. Now, keep in mind, in my line of work, I have to negotiate with CEOs of major companies. I was on the board for the Rotary Club of Wall Street in New York. I had to be at my professional best. Every person I met, hi, my name is Mike. I'm mentally ill. That was an interesting year because no one ran from me. <laughs> you know, no one made fun of me. I, I got a lot of hugs, some tears. A lot of questions. A few people got frustrated and said, well, I'm mentally ill too. Why are we talking about this? But it was just so welcoming. And I actually got hit on by more women than I ever have in my life. So it was so <laughs> weird. And, and there was one day, you know, and I shared this with people where I was doing this. I was on an elevator in New York City, a tiny elevator. And I think elevators are always interesting because like, what do you say to somebody on the elevator? It's just always weird. And so I'm on this tiny elevator. This woman gets on, standing shoulder to shoulder. So I decided to make conversation. I said, hi. She says, hi. I said, uh, this building is sketchy. And there was a weird pause. And she said, well, I work here. And I'm like, whoops, what do you do? And she said, I'm a therapist. I said, oh, I'm mentally ill. Can I have your business card? And she's been my therapist ever since. And I share that because we're the stigma when we talk about it in a low voice. It's not out there. It's in us. We talk about it in a low voice. When we normalize the conversation, we take away that stigma. I opened a presentation years ago and I said something, I couldn't get the audience's attention. So I actually said from the stage, feel my boobies. I said 30 years ago, it used to be called the big C. 
but the Feel My Boobies Foundation now talks about breast cancer. Celebrities put pictures of, of their mastectomies online. That's where we need to get to with mental health. So basically my experience has been um, beautiful and I allow people to have their own reaction. So that's something else I want to bring up. When you start talking about it, you know, if you're listening to this, you might be thinking, okay, this is great. Talk about it. But well, what if somebody responds with blank or runs away from me? Here's the reality. And I'm speaking as a professional speaker. You can't control someone's response to what comes out of your mouth. If you try to control it because you don't want them to have a certain reaction, that's called manipulation. Your job is just to deliver the message and how they respond is how they respond. And you'll learn that with repetition over time, it just becomes normalized. Well, I love the fact that you've been an advocate out there sharing your story. You're not afraid to have uncomfortable conversations or to challenge, you know, the, the norm. Right. And for us, right. Like everybody on this call right now, we're in the mental health world. We love it. We advocate for it. We've been in it for a while. We've experienced our own things and, there's still so many folks that, you know, you start to have those conversations and it's like, I don't know. And I don't know if I'm ready for it. And especially in the corporate world. Right. And I think that thank God, right. We are all now talking about it a lot more because you can't hide from the fact that your employees are struggling or their family members are struggling. It's just not appropriate to bury your head in the sand and pretend this is not a thing. And you do a lot in the corporate world and corporate wellness and navigating this and having conversations that need to happen. And, you know, I I look at, of course, like what's the good coming out of COVID. I think one good thing is that mental health and mental wellness is at the forefront of the conversation right now, and it needs to stay there. So what have you noticed um, working in the corporate world, navigating it? What are just some interesting things that you've experienced over the course of your career? Oh, wow. Well, first of all, during the pandemic, um, initially, all my speaking engagements got canceled. And I'm thinking, this is going to be a year of reflection and self-care and journaling. And within a month, I was busier than I ever had been in my life. And in one sense, that was great for the business. In another sense, really scary for the world. Corporations and small businesses are starting to talk about it because it's very, very real. You spend most of your time at work, you know, during the week. So it's important to you know, be sensitive to the people around you and the things they might be struggling with. And truth be told, when we think about our businesses, you know, we think about being productive and profitable. And there's so many studies that show in a mentally healthy work environment, the company is more productive and profitable. So addressing it is a win for everyone. Um, I have found people to be very receptive to it. And one of the reasons is, is because, um, you know, I just talk about it in normal terms that a fifth grader can understand. One thing I remind people that we um, you know, don't realize is that we don't like things that are confusing, complex, and frustrating. Actually, it makes us uh, crazy. We don't, we don't like that. And if you think of this pandemic, I mean, and all the things that came along with it, confusing, complex, and frustrating. We don't like that at all. We need things in a box. And I, I share with people, you know, years ago, I was working out in the gym, doing one of these push-up routines where you put your hands in different positions. I was trying to impress this woman in the gym. I'm not going to lie. And I ended up hurting my wrist, hurting my wrist. I played it off though, played it off, left the gym. But I knew when I got home, iced my wrist, it's either a sprain, a strain or a broken wrist. Wait a few days, call the doctor. Mental health doesn't work like that. It's very confusing, complex and frustrating. And sometimes it's someone who has to discover it for us in our behavior that, you know, we start to get on the road to, to treatment. So it's important 
for people to embrace that. And that's what I have been seeing when I've been speaking in workplaces is that people are slowly starting to embrace that we can't put it into a box. You can't just get some breathing exercises and you're gonna be okay. It's dirty, it's messy, but it's also beautiful and there's gold on the other side. That is great advice, right? It does take time and you really do have to stick with it. Um, And especially, I think you mentioned this previously, but all of us on this podcast right now are acutely aware of the challenges in our healthcare system, particularly in mental and behavioral healthcare and access, right? And, you know, the complexities of all of that. So I'm curious, just what advice would you give to someone who's, you know, really struggling with managing their mental health, or maybe they're on a wait list, or they don't want to know what to do next or don't know what's going to happen next, right? They're just trying to figure this out. So what kind of advice would you give to that person? First of all, um, if you are on a wait list and you've, you know, made that courageous step of getting, getting help, uh, first of all, it's important to realize that it's a process to find the right treatment for yourself. And a lot of times people go to a therapist and they go to one or two sessions and go, this is not right for me because I'm not getting answers. Um, it doesn't happen right away. It takes time. And usually after about three, four sessions, kind of like dating, you'll see if it's a good fit or not. You'll just feel it and just know it. And if not, just keep trying. And and it takes time. It takes time to figure out what works for you. Um, the other thing is focusing on self-care. And I want to explain what self-care is, in my opinion, because you know, you go on Instagram right now, there's like pictures of the spa and you know, Hawaii and 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 people saying that's self-care. I I want to get really straight on this. Self-care is what you do for your health when you're not in the presence of a medical professional. That's it. Brushing your teeth is a form of self-care. So please be doing that. And it's important to be intentional about it. But there's a difference between self-care and escape activities. And I really want to bring this up because a lot of people confuse the two. Um, Watching Netflix, um, video games, those are escape activities. But self-care includes intentional things that you do to grow and nurture yourself. Maybe it's journaling making sure you take your medication, making sure you stay hydrated, uh, talking to positive people in your life that make you feel good about yourself. But you have to be intentional about it. Um, years ago, I, um, I outed a whole group of people. I was a keynote speaker at a self-care conference, uh, 1,500 people. And I did, I did something I probably should never do. I lied to my audience. I got on stage. I was the closing speaker. They were looking forward to me. I said, ladies and gentlemen, I did the Mike Vini self-care assessment on all of you. And I have the results. And these poor people are looking around at each other, confused. What assessment did he do? And they're looking through their papers. Well, that morning, keep in mind, 1,500 people at a self-care conference. That morning, I went to the gym to work out. There were a total of three people in the gym. The night before at the bar, there were 300. These people looked real embarrassed because it brought out a real truth. We confuse escape activities and self-care. There's nothing wrong with escape activities, but it's important to distinguish the two. And when you do, you start getting on the road to a mentally healthier life. Now, if you're really busy, like many of us, and you're going to say, I don't have time for self-care, I'll I'll deal with that one later. But um, here's an activity that just seems to work that um, everyone can do if you're really, really busy throughout the day. Check in with your feelings. Ask yourself, what am I feeling? Now, oftentimes when I ask myself that, I don't know the answer. But by simply asking yourself that, you start to gain awareness around it. The second question, where is it located? Learning to locate where a feeling is in your body is also helpful. You'll start to notice patterns. And the third question, what do I need right now? You might need water. You might need a hug. You might need to stop watching the news. Whatever it is, 
you know, asking yourself that when you're really, really busy, you have too much going on, that's a way to start taking care of yourself. And you'd be surprised that those three questions, what am I feeling? Where is it located? What do I need right now? will start you down the road to feeling better. I love those questions. And I'm going to add on to that too, is actually we work with an organizational psychologist who really works to improve our team and our leaders. And one of the things that she said to me in our session this week was at the end of everything you do, take eight seconds to just breathe. We're on this hamster wheel of just go, 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 go meeting, email, meeting, email, call, whatever. And it's like, if you just pause and take those eight seconds to breathe, reset and move forward, she's like, you'll notice this improvement in your energy throughout the day. So I am breathing and I love your suggestions. And I love the fact that you identify, you called to attention, like notice where it's coming from and how you're feeling. Like, where is this, um, in your body when you're noticing these different things? So I love that advice. So thank you so much. And I know you're a huge advocate for meditation too. So how did you get to that? What, what do you do? Uh, how did you land on this as a tool that is helpful for you? Oh, okay. I know, I know we don't have much time, but I, I want to bring this up when we're done with this recording. I'm probably going to pick up this mobile device right here and just check it for some oddball reason. This is the human behavior that we all have. In fact, when you're listening to this podcast, when you're done, you might just check your mobile device. We are so glued to that thing. It's become a habit and it doesn't allow us to pause. And I love that you brought that up, Alice, and the importance of um, pausing. I do a style of meditation called transcendental meditation, where you have to pay to learn it. Um, in the meditation world, it's considered the big mama of meditation. But ultimately, I needed someone to teach me how to silence my brain. And I've learned to do it 20 minutes twice a day now. And it gives me, it's like the greatest gift in the world that I give myself. 20 minutes twice a day, my brain goes to like nothing. It's really, really cool. In fact, when I go into a meditative state, it's actually a deeper relaxation than sleep often. So when you start doing something like that, it gives you that break that we all need. The human brain is not meant to just go and go and go and go. Having these notifications coming on our phones all the time, all this stuff, it, we're just not meant to be doing that. So meditation is a great outlet to pause, to relax and calm yourself and center yourself, especially in the world we live in today. You know, well, first of all, I'm just going to quickly circle back because I know we don't have too much more time, but I love that you called those folks out at the self-care conference. <laughs> I can't get over it. I think it's great. I mean, it's again, you know, it's, it's really just highlighting this idea of, you know, this is a societal cultural component of when we sort of, you know, quote, take time for ourselves, or maybe we're trying to be social, we're trying to cut loose or, you know, let your hair down or whatever, insert your favorite statement there. But one of the things I think you've also shown and talked about a lot is just really finding healthy ways to cope, creating healthy habits, routines, things like that. And I love that you clearly have this love for um, drumming and music. And I know this is at least a hobby of yours. So I'd just love to hear a little bit more about how you got into that and how it's become such a huge part of your life. Wow. I got the drumsticks like five feet away from me in my hotel room. Here. Um, I became a drummer in fifth grade and it was the thing that centered me as a kid as I struggled with mental health. And I just want to say this. I didn't really say it before. As a kid, I was hospitalized in a mental hospital three times. I attempted to die by suicide at age 10. Self-harmed, was violent at home. I mean, I, I know the world of struggling with mental health and drumming 
centered me. So it became my career for many years. And now my company, actually, one of the things we do is corporate drumming. And I work with groups like the uh, Wounded Warrior Project, um, many different companies. It's kind of cool. I get to be an adult that goes in the workplace with my drums. Adults get sweaty and happy and pay me. Like, that's my job. That's pretty cool, right? And, you know, drumming allows us to, number one, feel a sense of unity, which is something that many of us never feel. And one of the reasons we struggle with our mental health. The other thing it allows people to do is to actually like hit something in a way that's productive and let out anger and emotions. And it's just really cool to watch. So for me nowadays, I mean, I do drumming in the workplace um, as part of my company, but for me personally, it's a great way to have a conversation with yourself. And if you think about your own mental health, 90% of the time we're having all these conversations going on in our heads. Some we're conscious of, a lot we're not conscious of. When you participate in an art activity, whether it's drawing, painting, or anything, you get to have a conversation with yourself. That's all art is, is a conversation with yourself. And it allows you to express things that maybe you can't express in words. And so that's why the arts are so important for people. And that's what drumming has done for me. I love it. I think we all need to have an outlet so important, some way to process how we're feeling and and a good, healthy release too. So thank you for sharing that. And we're going to wrap it up with our final question before we ask you to share where we can find you. But at this point in your life, Mike, we ask all of our guests this question, what matters most to you right now? What matters most to me is my spirituality. And for me, that's not a specific religion. It's about just making sure my head is in the right place, Make, making sure my intentions are in the right place. And oftentimes they're in a not so good place. And focusing on spirituality allows me to bring it back. You know, when something happens in the world and I look at the news, well, I go back to me, my spirituality. How are you doing, Mike, regardless of what's going on? And you'd be surprised. It's allowed me to really... Um, be resilient during the pandemic and get through some difficult times. So that's what matters to me. Thank you so much for sharing that, Mike. I know a lot of people can relate to that right now for sure. So thank you so much for joining us today and really just spending some time here. Can you share with our listeners how we can either follow you on social media or otherwise? Sure. You can find me on my website. My name is Mike Vini and the website is www mikevini.com and my last name is spelled v like and victor e is in edward n is in nancy y is in yellow and i'm on instagram twitter facebook linkedin and i have a youtube channel so feel free to reach out to me and say hello and if i could ever be of help to you let me know thanks so much mike we really appreciate you Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not already subscribed, we hope you join us regularly and please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. We hope that this podcast is beneficial to you and your wellness journey. Dear Mind, You Matter is brought to you by Nobu, a new mental health and wellness app. You can download it today using the link in our show notes. We'll talk to you next time. And until then, remember you and your mind matter.